to Chasing Dramas. This is the podcast that discusses Chinese culture and history through historical Chinese dramas. We're your hosts, Kathy and Karen. Today, we will discuss episodes 22 and 23 of the story of Yanxi Palace or Yanxi Gonglu. This podcast is in English with proper nouns and certain phrases spoken in Mandarin Chinese. For this podcast episode, we will do a drama episode recap and then go into the history and culture discussed in the drama. We left off the last episode with the tragic death of a maid who fell from a higher floor. Her death startled the Empress Dowager, the Empress, Gao Guifei, and Shu Guiren, who were in the middle of a garden stroll nearby. At first, the two other maids with the maid that died explained that they accidentally caused the tragedy due to a silly dress-up game that they were playing with the hint that they were dressing up similar to the empress in her turn as the goddess of the river Luo. This would look very badly for the empress. So, before the uh, masters could arrive, Ying Luo cleverly turned the story on Gao Guifei in front of the Empress Dowager and claimed that the dead maid was trying to copy Gao Guifei and her opera makeup instead. The Empress Dowager doesn't say anything at this and leaves with a stern look on her face. We start episode 22 with Ying Luo discussing with the Empress, Ming Yu and Er Qing about what just happened. It seems that this probably was a plot by Gao Guifei to ruin the Empress. So Ying Luo stepped in and smeared crushed berries she picked nearby on the dead maid's face to fake the appearance of opera makeup and hide the goddess makeup to trick the Empress Dowager when they arrived. The other two maids on the scene were also too suspect in their actions after the third maid died, so it's not hard to deduce that this was probably a plot by Gao Guifei and Shu Guirin to harm the Empress. Now, if you'll recall in the last episode, it's this plum blossom makeup that everyone is trying to copy from the Empress. Interestingly, though, after all of this happens, we next see Gao Guifei's Chu Xiu Gong being ransacked by a number of eunuchs, well, at least her opera stage is being ransacked. She rushes in shock uh, at the scene and demands the eunuchs stop. But then the Empress Dowager's head maid arrives with Gao Guifei's beloved opera outfits and orders them to be burned. This whole scene is by order of the Empress Dowager herself. I really appreciate this scene because it shows that the Empress Dowager saw right through the little trick Gao Guifei enacted with the whole makeup plot against the Empress and is now punishing Gao Guifei by taking the thing that she loves most. But also, the Empress Dowager can use the fact that a noble consort, someone of the Guifei status in the palace, should not be seeing opera, which would reduce her status as a member of the palace and also cause havoc for the Emperor. At this, Gao Guifei doesn't really have much to say and is utterly speechless, but also heartbroken. I mean, I'm kind of sad too because those outfits, say what you will about her, um, were stunning. So I would be sad too to see those outfits of hers be uh, uh, tossed in the fire. And the thing is though, it's not like the Empress 
does not realize that she also caused a lot of heartache and problems in the palace, she calmly explains to her worried maids that she is not mad at them, more so that she is mad at herself. For that night where she dressed up and danced, she forgot her duty and reverted back to her days before marriage with the dance and the outfit and makeup. Now, this is a lesson to her that she always has to remember her duty as empress and live her life according to those expectations and rules in order to be a good empress worthy of the Qing dynasty. She does note that Tai Ho, or the Empress Dowager, no doubt saw through the plot but didn't want to press the empress further in order to help the empress Huang Ho save face. But that does not mean Huang Ho cannot heed this warning. And also, anyone watch The Crown? It's on Netflix, uh, and I feel like it's quite relevant now given the recent death of Queen Elizabeth II. But in The Crown, and obviously it's fictional, but we see a lot of depiction of Queen Elizabeth saying that it is her duty and her responsibility to see the crown and monarchy endure. I feel like I see a lot of parallels between those scenes and what we just heard the Empress talk about right here. Is that just me? I feel like there's some parallels right there. In any case, Shu Guiren heads to Chu Xiaogong to beg for forgiveness for her failed attempts to eliminate Ying Luo. She kneels for an entire night, and finally, when she sees Gao Guifei, she proposes going after Ying Luo another way. Instead of trying to eliminate her, why not try to use her for their own purposes? There must be some type of leverage against her that they can use. Gao Guifei agrees with this plan, and um, the next thing we know, they get all the details about Ying Luo's true motivations for coming to the palace from Zhang Mo the maid from the embroidery department that Ying Luo was super close with. Under threat, Zhang Mo had no option but to spill the beans. We've also talked about this previously. I do think Shu Guren is not a great tactician. I mean, she's failed multiple times at this point to get rid of Ying Luo. If I was Gao Guifei, I would have been like, mm, you're pretty much worthless to me. Soon after, Ying Luo is accosted by Gao Guifei's maid for a twilight meetup with Gao Guifei. This comes right after Ying Luo noticed that Zhang Momo was acting oddly when Ying Luo goes to visit her. At Chu Xiaogong, Gao Guifei and Shu Guren introduce a witness to the events that happened that night, or that fateful night. A eunuch who saw the whole thing unfold produces a royal belt that could have only been worn by the perpetrator. The belt's owner? Fu Hong. Gao Guifei and Shu Guren pounce on this opportunity and goad Ying Luo into taking revenge against the empress or what she has done to protect her brother from this unspeakable act. They suggest that the three of them work together to bring down the Empress and Fu Hong so that Ying Luo can get her revenge. Shu Guren suggests poison and gives Ying Luo a pouch full of it. The following events move rather quickly as Ying Luo enacts her plan for revenge. At least that's what Gao Guifei and Shu Guiren think. 
One day, or I think it's the next day, Fu Hung arrives to visit his sister and Ying Luo goes to help prepare the tea for Fu Hung and the Empress. Once the tea is prepared, and she purposely did this, Ying Luo and company head over to the main hall and meet Chun Fei, whom we have not seen in quite some time along the way. Chun Fei also wanted to visit the Empress, but was turned away. No, actually, she turned herself away after hearing that Fu Hung was already there. But as Ying Luo presents the tea to the Empress and Fu Hung, and right before Fu Hung takes a sip, Chun Fei bursts into the room, smashing Fu Hung's teacup in the process. She reveals that Ying Luo must be hoping to poison Fu Hung and the Empress because Chun Fei smelled the fragrance on her person that Gao Guifei uses, meaning whatever is currently the fragrance wafting from Ying Luo's person is coming from Gao Guifei's palace. So they must have talked. And Chen Fei said she also found a pouch of poison in Ying Luo's quarters. I feel like there's a couple of plot holes here, but we're not going to think too much about it. Ying Luo roundly denies the poison and proves it by drinking the tea meant for the Empress because the one for Fu Hong was smashed. She does finally explain to the Empress what happened to her sister. And thankfully, Ying Luo says that she's not blind. She sees how kind the Empress is to her and is sure that the Empress would not stoop so low as to kill Ying Luo's sister. This I appreciate because I feel like in other dramas, Ying Luo totally would have killed the Empress and not thought about it. Or attempted to, yes. However, that does not mean Ying Luo isn't pissed off at Fu Hong after they all depart and everything's like, okay, it's fine. Ying Luo didn't try to kill anybody. Because even if she does believe, and again, thank you, she believes him, that he did not do anything to his sister, Ying Luo now knows that Fu Hong must have purposefully led her astray to prevent her from knowing the truth. Fu Hong doesn't deny this, but does insist he did this in order to protect Ying Luo, as if she continues to seek the truth, it will only mean more pain for her. But, I mean, can you expect Ying Luo to listen? No. I mean, with her personality, there's no way. And finally, after 20 plus episodes, the main perpetrator that harmed Ying Luo's sister is finally revealed. This happens after a tea banquet the emperor hosts with a couple of his close relatives in the imperial garden. Ying Luo surmised that the main culprit could only be someone extremely powerful, such as a royal prince or someone very close to the emperor for someone like Fu Hong to be wary of. And so this tea banquet was the perfect opportunity to see exactly who this person could be. Now, the relatives at the banquet include the emperor's brothers and a few uncles, I think. The main guest today, though, is the fifth prince, or you could say uh, the fifth uncle of the emperor's children. Well, his name is Hong Zhou. For our listeners that are familiar with Empresses in the Palace or Zhen Huan Zhuan, Wu Ge in that drama or Hong Zhou was never actually seen in that drama. He was basically just mentioned as not being uh, qualified for the 
imperial throne. So he was not part of any squabbles in the palace. In this drama, though, he has a rather prominent role. We also do see the sixth prince of uh, Yongzheng, or Hong Yan, who in Empresses in the Palace was Zhen Huan's love child with the 17th prince. That whole plot is, of course, not relevant here. Well, this fifth prince, Hong Zhou, is immediately shown to be an arrogant and immature man who openly punched an important court official amongst many other misdeeds. Many of the uncles at this party were plenty displeased with Hong Zhou's behavior. Once his brother, the emperor, arrives, though, the fifth prince, Hong Zhou's behavior further escalates. He drinks the tea the emperor provides and promptly pretends to die of poison, scaring the rest in attendance only to suddenly sit up laughing at them in jest. Interestingly, the emperor does not think much of it. That night, as the royals leave, they are met with a downpour, and in the thunder and lightning of the evening, a shadow of a dead maid streaks across the palace wall, scattering the group. No one is more scared, though, than Hong Zhou, who sees flashbacks of the maid he defiled. He is reduced to a blubbering mess, falling to the ground and screaming that a ghost has come after him. Fu Hung and other imperial guards rush to find him, and Fu Hong basically says, Pull yourself together, man. <laughs> it doesn't get past Fu Hong that this must have been a setup by Ying Luo, who heard that there were important royals having tea with the emperor. Fu Hong believes that Ying Luo was the one to create the image in order to figure out who was the ultimate perpetrator. Yet he warns her to stay away. The fifth prince has the unparalleled backing of the emperor. And Fu Hong tells Ying Luo that unless Hong Zhou commits a crime equivalent to a coup, the emperor will not punish him. Listeners, remember those words. Ying Luo at this point doesn't acknowledge him and just walks away. She is pissed. And the whole reason why the emperor is so lenient on Hong Zhou is because we find out that, or at least the emperor suspects that Hong Zhou pretended to be sick all growing up and to not study or be accomplished in any way in order to remove himself from the running of becoming the next emperor. And that cleared the way for Hong Li, our current emperor, Emperor Qianlong. And so I theorize that the emperor is very grateful to this brother, and that's why he turns a blind eye to pretty much everything Hong Zhou does. The other stray observation here is that I'm surprised Fu Hong can just call Hong Zhou by his first name. Like, I feel like that's a pretty big uh, step, right? Because Hong Zhou is a prince. And, I mean, you could say Fu Hong is, yeah, like, he's the younger brother of the Empress, but I feel like that's probably overstepping. In any case, the next day, Fu Hong meets Hong Zhou and also tries to help Ying Luo resolve this entire matter once and for all. In front of the Empress at Changchun Gong, Hong Zhou is brought forth and admits that he changed into Fu Hong's clothes and took advantage of Ying Luo's sister, but says that it was because he drank too much. And also I feel like the order of when 
the fifth prince Hongzhou took Fu Hung's clothes were kind of swapped, so it's not the full story. But Hongzhou presents Yingluo with a tray full of gold as compensation for what happened and even apologizes. However, he aptly denies killing Yingluo's sister. To further compensate Yingluo, he agrees to claim that he married her sister, Aman, as a concubine, which will give her at least some status. And the nail in the coffin for Yingluo's quest for revenge, though, is that Hongzhou brings forth, or I think Fu Hong brings forth, Yingluo's father, who Hongzhou agrees to install him at a relatively good post in the palace. That way, the Wei family name will be saved and Yingluo's sister can be buried with at least some sort of honors. Poor Yingluo. You know she absolutely hates Hongzhou and is furious that she has to succumb to pressure to let him go. She would want him to be tried for his crimes. Or just, you know, dead. <laughs> but unfortunately, she has no choice. With that, we leave the story of Ying Luo's sister's death to rest. Or do we? We'll learn more about that in the upcoming episodes. When I saw, or when we got to the end of the episode, I was pretty upset with Hongzhou. It's like he blatantly just accepts his power or, you know, the abusive power. And he's like, well, I'm the prince. You can't do anything about it. It's been a while since we've seen somebody this uh, obnoxious and arrogant. The only other scene I want to talk about for this uh, podcast episode recap is uh, the scene with Xian Fei. We haven't seen her in a while, and we get another glimpse of just how crafty she can be. One night, the emperor came to inform her that the fourth prince, whom she had been taking care of for a while after the death of his mother, well, she killed her, uh, will be taken away soon to be raised by her aunt, who may come to the palace. Sanfei at first does not object on the surface, but that night she purposefully injures herself while tending to the fourth prince, so that the emperor will see just how much effort she's putting into raising said prince, thereby leaving him in her care. We are now seeing the seamless skill that Sanfei has in manipulating one's heart for her own purposes. It's kind of because she has played that serene, kind woman for so long that when she has now turned to the dark side, it's very hard to catch that she is now being manipulative. I love Charmaine's smirk. It's excellent. Okay, that was it with the episode recap. Let's move on to history and culture uh, portrayed within these two episodes. I want to first talk about the scene where, in order to get the empress to talk to the maids, Wei Yingluo pretends to pray to the empress, and they have a whole exchange. This is at the beginning of episode 22. Yingluo asks the goddess, who she's pretending to be the empress, to guide her and forgive her for any of her wrongdoings. The empress finally turns her attention towards Yingluo and jokingly says, I am not Chang'e, and you are not Dian Dang. The story that they're referencing is called Chang'e, or the Moon Goddess. It was written by Pu Songling, 
between the late 1600s and first published in 1740. The stories were compiled into Strange Tales from a Chinese Studio, or Liao Zhai Zhi Yi. This collection includes almost 500 stories, or Marvel tales, that uses legends, ghosts, and the supernatural to comment on societal problems. Indeed, many of them are quite scary. I have never read the original collection, but several pretty well-known dramas and movies have been made over the years that are based off of several stories from the collection. There are several translations in English, so if you're interested, uh, I recommend that you read a couple of stories. The specific story of Chang'e, the one that is referenced in this drama, is quite convoluted. I read it several times, but I couldn't really make too much of it. It's really weird, so I will do my best to explain the story that leads up to uh, the specific scene in the drama. Chang'e, the moon goddess, is disguised as a human. A young man, Zong Zimei, spots her and falls in love with her. He asks for her hand via an old Scrooge because Chang'e randomly just shows up to the old Scrooge's house one day. A year later, because the young man's parents died, he then comes back to ask for her hand. However, the old Scrooge does not agree because he could not afford the bride price. The young man, Zong Zimei, then meets another woman called Dian Dang, and they agree to get married. Another day, though, Zong Zimei encounters Chang'e. She kind of is sad that he never came back for her, and gives him the gold to afford the bride price. He returns to tell Dian Dang about his encounter. After hearing the story, Dian Dang agrees to be a concubine instead of his wife, but later reneges on this and disappears with her mother. Later, Zong Zimei and Chang'e do get married. Zong Zimei laments that he never saw the likes of the famous women of Yang Guifei or Zhao Feiyan. Chang'e just smiles, Looking at paintings, she transforms into these women to uh, please her husband. One day, Chang'e gets kidnapped. Zong Zimei tries to find her, but to no avail. Years pass. One day, he meets another beggar who turns out to be Dian Dong, and she tells him clues of how to find Chang'e. He does this and finds out that Chang'e is a goddess who is punished to the mortal realm and now must leave. Unfortunately, that was way too much to bear for Zong Zimei, who tries to commit suicide. Chang'e rescues him and finds or tries to find Dian Dang to punish her. That is where they find out that Dian Dang is a Hu Xian, or Hu Li Jing, which is a fox spirit. And then somehow the three end up living together. I didn't really get this part. But at this point, Chang'e does not enjoy sleeping with her husband anymore. One day, she finds out that her husband is entangled with Dian Dong, who transformed into Chang'e to um, get into his good graces. As punishment, Chang'e causes Dian Dong to have a massive headache. Dian Dang immediately drags Zong Zimei, or the man, to Chang'e's side and bows to her to ask for her forgiveness. Chang'e at first doesn't oblige. 
Dandong then says, "You know what? I'll pray to her as if she is a pusa or bodhisattva, and then she, you know, may change her mind." Dandong then actually goes and gets a small vase, adds water and a willow branch, and prays to Chang'e, with Chang'e just like sitting there. This is the scene that Wei Yingluo is imitating in the drama. Okay, Karen, this is really convoluted, right? Yeah, I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> so I had to give enough backstory because、um, I wanted to give some information on the characters up to this point. Here's my thought. I don't really understand why Yingluo is imitating this scene because right after what I just translated in the story, you know, up to praying, you know,、uh, Dandong praying to Chang'e, the author gives us probably the most homoerotic passage that I have ever encountered while doing research for this podcast. Dandong proceeds to kiss Chang'e's feet. Chang'e, the goddess herself, feels a bit of lust, but quickly kicks Dandong away. The goddess then tells the man, "You know, I was almost tempted." LOL. <laughs> okay. Dandong, the fox spirit or Hulijing, is seducing another woman. Later in the text,、um, Chang'e is still mad at Dandong, and then the the husband, the man who's like kind of not a part of the story right now, is like, "Oh, Dandong is just saying like she loves you so much." Karen, what do you think? Is this subtle? I don't think so. Uh, my jaw kind of dropped when I read the original text. It is quite、uh, saucy for I don't know, seventeenth century text. Well, I think it's just because we have this view of it of a、uh, Chinese. Text being very proper or whatever, but you know that's why this Liao Jai Zhiyi was、uh, quite popular. Well, this also goes back to our previous discussions on how this drama, Yan Xi Gong Lue, is probably one of the first major dramas to reference lesbian relationships in recent years. We mentioned before that there are mentions of lesbianism in Chinese literature, especially in *Strange Tales from a Chinese Studio*, which is this collection of stories. But、uh, I honestly didn't expect to read one for the drama. The timing or reference of this story in the drama could be an anachronism. We are in the early 1740s, and the stories were written in the late 1600s. But as I said. It wasn't fully published until 1740. However, I also seriously doubt that people like the Empress are reading these stories, and I also don't think the Empress would have taken very kindly to what Yingluo did with regards to praying to her and referencing this specific story because、um, the literal lines. In the story that Yingluo, you know, after this whole scene that Yingluo tries to portray, is Dandong trying to seduce the Empress, or Chang'e in the story. Also, Dandong is a fox spirit who are known to be seducers in these stories,、uh, which then kind of is like I don't know what you're trying to portray here. I think the sentiment is fine to have Yingluo try to cheer the Empress up, but the usage of this story. Probably wasn't appropriate. Tying this though back to pop culture, there is a reason why the Empress and Wei Yingluo 
or as we've mentioned, Ling Ho CP have so many couple shippers. It's because of examples like this where the drama kind of supports them as a couple. That was quite a discussion, so we'll leave the story at that. Now let's cool down with a discussion of tea. Senqing cha, or I guess the direct translation is three clear tea to be exact. In episode 23, Emperor Qianlong invites his brothers and other relatives for tea, and we are introduced to Sanqing cha, or three clear tea. The emperor informs us that it is brewed using snow water from the Longjing tea, along with Meihua, Songshi, and Foshou. This means plum blossoms, pine nuts, and fingered citron. It's also called the Buddha hand, or that's the literal translation. I don't think I've ever had a Buddha hand, but it looks quite a lot like many fingers. Now, very interestingly is that this recipe is true to history and is one of the emperor's favorite teas. Qianlong was the one who invented this tea mixture. Over the years, he had multiple banquets just to feature this tea during the first month of the new year. Indeed, there is a whole poem that he wrote in 1746 that's dedicated to this tea. Which in my mind means that if you can get these ingredients, why not try it out and make a pot of this to see if it's worthy of the emperor, or if you think it's worthy of the emperor. The name for the tea, Three Clear Tea, is also a lesson slash warning that the emperor wanted to give to his ministers. Qing means clear, but the three clears that he names for this tea is Qing Lian, Qing Zheng, and Qing Ming, which means honesty, clarity, and openness to the people. He wants his ministers to be upstanding people and not corrupt. Interesting guy, that Qianlong. Yeah, it's almost, uh, I mean, we have a couple of months till winter, but let's see if we can uh, get some snow water and make the tea this year. Lastly, we are introduced to the fifth prince, Hong Zhou. He's an absolute scoundrel, but he apparently could make at least one good poem. At the gathering with the emperor, Hong Zhou recites a poem before faking his whole poisoning. It goes as such. The poem's name is Jin Zun Yin, or the Golden Goblet Hymn. My translation roughly goes like this. There are many uncertainties in the world. Nothing is clear. Why not enjoy the wine using your golden goblet and enjoy life as well? I'll drink from my glass until I am drunk. Then I won't be bothered by the worries of the world. It's rare to find true friends in the world. So why not invite them for good food, wine, and a good discussion? This poem was indeed written by Hong Zhou and probably his most famous. It is also dubbed as his savior poem. Why? Because in this poem, Hong Zhou informs the world that he has no outwardly ambition. He simply wants to enjoy life and the pleasures of drink. Rumor has it that this poem reduced a lot of suspicion on him from the emperor. This is, again, in real life. 
it doesn't do well for the emperor to have ambitious brothers of the same age. Emperor Tianlong didn't have too many brothers, but nonetheless, he still didn't get along very well with his older brother, the third prince, when they were vying for the throne. Hong Zhou here, this fifth prince, lived a relatively long life because he smartly avoided politics. In the last stanza, Tui Bei Huan Zhan Hua Gu Jin, the Huan Zhan means to swap the drinking cup or drinking vessel. In terms of the poem, it's more a reference uh, that the group continuously drinks and refills the cup. So they're swapping cups to, you know, get new or more wine. In the drama, though, the young prince Hong Yan responds to hearing this line of, oh, is there really poison in the cup? I personally don't think it really matches the essence of the poem because the swapping of cups isn't about, you know, really swapping the cups, it's to refill. But that's just a nitpick. I can brush it off as the young prince is too young to know better. Um, but again, this poem has nothing to do with poison <laughs> or death. Quite the opposite. So I think uh, in this drama, they just wanted to highlight a poem that was actually written by Hong Zhou. Which, again, I'll give that kudos to the screenwriters. But uh, I don't think it really fit the sentiment of like poisoning in this episode. And that is it for today. If you like what you hear on this podcast, please remember to give us a rating on whatever platform you listen to us to. And also feel free to reach out to us on Instagram or Twitter or on our website. You can also email us at karenandkathy at chasingdramas.com. For those of you looking to watch Chinese dramas or movies, please do check out our sponsor, Jubao TV, which has a selection of Chinese dramas and movies with English subtitles, all for free if you are in the States. Online, they can be accessed via Jumo or XUMO, or else on TV via Xfinity and Cox Contour, as well as Sling TV. Thank you all so much for listening, and we will catch you in the next podcast episode.